นโมทัสสะบะโกวะตุระตุสัมมาสัมปุทัสสะนโมทัสสะบะโกวะตุระตุสัมมาสัมปุทัสสะนโมทัสสะบะโกวะตุระตุสัมมาสัมปุทัสสะนิดังดัมมังสังฆังนิมสังเอ so They teach the Dhamma, and uh, we can assume that this is always a matter of speaking, but actually, it isn't. Um, speaking, giving words, is one aspect of Dhamma. Um, the other, this is called Vajra. The other aspects of Dhamma: heart, giving heart. Um, and the other aspect of Dhamma is in terms of body. So, so giving heart is quality of goodwill, openness, receptivity, and you cultivate that. And there's a lot you can cultivate in using the heart as an organ of perception, and even an organ of communication. You send forth goodwill. You sense. You feel nervous, tense. Uh, agitated, send forth goodwill towards yourself, towards others. Doesn't matter who's getting it. Just spread it forth, bring it forth. Open the heart. Puja. You talk to the Buddha. You address the Buddha through the heart. You use words, but really the words are just there to guide the quality of opening the heart to awakeness to the teaching. To purity, so there's a language of heart. There's a language of body which is to do with uh, feeling relaxed, feeling alert, uh, moderating the movements of the body. So we're living in a composed, mindful way with regard to the body. The body then becomes something that we are not using um, externally as an or as something we attract. Or compare with others, using a sense of body just as a steady presence, a steady presence for ourselves, and also if you sit in a group of people who are sitting steadily and present, there's definitely an energy that has a therapeutic and calming effect. Sometimes it's better to sit with others than sit on your own. You can feel something like everybody is holding some degree of steadiness and stillness and. We learn to tune into our bodies. We begin to receive that. Um, so there are three, three levels. Language, really. We think language is purely to do with words, but first language we learned was the language of the body. Yeah, when you're in your mother's womb, you knew about feeling safe. You knew about feeling something around you holding you. And that language of body, and uh, is still there. We can still sense that. We feel threatened. We feel comfortable. We feel relaxed. We feel agitated. Body knows that. The body has a quite an extensive um, language to it. Sometimes it doesn't feel settled. Sometimes it feels tense, nervy, agitated, and it's saying something. Saying no, it's not. Something's happening here. 
and we have to respond to that. So in this, hopefully in this retreat we'll learn to uh, listen to our body, to the body intelligence, and learn to uh, respond to that, and uh, feel it more fully. So that restlessness, tension, dullness, these effects can be shed. The body then becomes a source of great strength, stability, comfort. And the Buddha rightly said, when one meditates, the meditator sits cross-legged at the foot of a tree. And uh, clearly this could be challenging if you're living in an apartment in Bangkok or Hong Kong. But the theme of sitting at the root of a tree is something to bear in mind. Just what would it feel like with that steady support behind you and a shelter over you and being you know, feeling that sense of a comfortable, shady space out of the heat where you can just be present. You've got this firm tree behind you and you, in a way, your body, your back, your spine becomes like a tree. If you're connected to the ground and your head is like the crown of the tree. This is a good thing to bear in mind in terms of sitting position. Sitting like you are a tree. And there's something very harmonious about that. Particularly because a lot of people find themselves, they just sit in their head. And there's something happening underneath, but not quite certain what it is. It's not completed, not harmonious, not connected to the ground. So this language, language of the body. Learning to sense things through your feet through your skin, when you walk, when you move through space, feeling the air and the space parting around you, moving steadily. So the body is always present, always awake, always listening. Um, the heart, language of heart, language of heart, first language, second language we learn is the language of heart, which is the language of feeling loved or feeling not loved. Yeah. The language of people, when we were very small, before we could get words out, we looked around and we felt comfortable or uncomfortable, safe or unsafe, hungry or not hungry, and we responded to that. It's the language of laughter and tears, and screams and crooning. <laughs> yeah, we still experience that. And then, of course, there's a very complicated head language which tries to sort everything out. And all these three languages are happening to us all the time. Often we don't learn to, to listen to them or understand them. We just listen to the noise in our heads and think that's, that's the only form of intelligence. Actually, the head intelligence is extremely corrupted through words, lies, Propaganda, pressure, deceit of the world around us, which we get through reading, media, television, people saying harsh things, violent things, stupid things, deluded things, crazy things, dishonest things, and you take it all in. And eventually that, you know, people start speaking it. 
So you want to be careful with the language of the head and disregard it or understand the emotions that are powering it, getting it going. When you're listening, when your thoughts are going on, just try to simplify a stream of thought to a simple expression of what really is being felt. Is it busy? Is it uh, happy? Is it uh, trying to make things fixed? Is it doubting, uncertain? What's the emotion behind your thought? Step back from thought. Step back from it. Listen to the stream of thought. What's it saying? What's it? Where's it coming from? And then how do you uh, respond to the emotion? Generally, simple truth of it is compassion, goodwill, and firmness. It's truth. This is not appropriate. This is not true. Um, calm down. Take it easy. So it's a parenting yourself, giving yourself that shelter and support. <coughs> so when we uh, cultivate, we cultivate these, uh, uh, starting cultivating sila, and you can develop this into a good, great degree. Um, particularly if you begin to really get the feeling of it in your heart, a sense of respect for other creatures, living creatures, non-violence, non-harming, non-appropriation, not taking what isn't really fully, truly offered. So this is not just some other humans, but some other creatures. We don't uh, exploit creatures. And so if we really extend this quality of, of, uh, of sila, then your respect for creatures probably means you wouldn't be eating them. They don't seem to like being eaten. <laughs> or killed, or herded, or you know, cut up. They're living creatures. So you think like that, you start to sense, I don't want to be participating in this kind of activity of destroying creatures even not doing it myself, supporting other people to do it for me, is uh, perhaps something to take seriously, if you really have conscience and concern. Uh, Living in, uh, here we live in a fairly clean land, it's green, there's trees, and again if you have conscience and concern for the land, the landscape, you don't throw litter on it, you're careful of that, you realise everything that you use and you dispose of has to go somewhere and it's going to go into the earth or into the water. And if you really care for the earth, you wouldn't live in a rubbish dump, you wouldn't want to live drinking poison water, so you avoid littering, poisoning the land wherever you, however you can. So be careful particularly with plastic things, because plastic, very dangerous material, it's great stuff for 
has great uses, but it's terrible stuff when you dispose of it because it doesn't break down and fish and creatures eat it and then that messes them up and of course the, uh, the land gets poisoned by all the toxins in these things that we take for granted. So we learn a sense of propriety and frugality and awareness. Everything we use finally comes from the earth. Everything we get rid of finally goes back into the earth. Yeah. The earth is our mother, the earth feeds us, the air we breathe nourishes us, the water we can't live without. That's where we're getting it from there. The earth doesn't charge us anything. <laughs> The air doesn't charge us anything, we take it, can we use it just what we need, nothing more. And remember everything we get rid of has to go back into that. So can we be careful about disposing of materials? Can we try? I think this is quite an important topic these days. You look at something like intoxication and it says here, don't take intoxicating drink or drugs. And so you can take this at the, the most basic level is means you don't get drunk, which is good. But you can refine it to, no, you don't get drunk, I don't even touch things that could get me drunk. You know, not even one sniff of it, because why bother? What's the point of it? You know, so we start to look at why are we doing things? You know, are we doing things to just uh, absorb our minds into something where we can be less careful? Do we just wallow in drink? Not just alcohol, but even food, indulgence in food, indulgence in media. You can easily spend hours just disappearing into the internet and you come out three hours later what happened? I just I just bought a second hand car <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> I just married somebody over the internet <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> it just takes you in and you're just kind of swimming along in this stream just click, one click away one click oh, that was purchase oh, one click <laughs> you see how the loss of personal orientation and that's what intoxication does because you're no longer really steering your own ship something else is steering it and you know where it's going to? it's not going to mindfulness and deep attention it's going to heedlessness <laughs> and being, being taken over by something so just look at that regard that and you recognize how available that is, everything is trying to intoxicate us. You know? You know, if you walk, as I come through an airport, you have to walk through this incredible sangsara, you know, Mara's, Mara's treasury. And there's jewels, and there's whiskey, and there's perfumes, and there's watches, and there's leather bags, and there's, it's just mind blowing. And it's like everything has got these things coming out and you're trying to grab you, you know, and they, they sort of have these advertisements with people looking interesting or glamorous, everybody's happy, 
Everybody looks good, everybody's happy, everybody's comfortable in these advertisements because they've got a bottle of whiskey in their hand. And, you know, and that, all that pressure. And it's saying, and you know, it's saying, just go into the dream. Don't be awake. Dream. Dream on. <laughs> dream of happiness. The dream of happiness is you get a Gucci bag. The dream of happiness is you get a, you know, an Omega watch. Yeah. And you know, I started looking at these watch advertisements. Every watch is set at eight minutes past ten. You ever notice that? You look at you look at the advertisements. They're always a, the big hands on. You know, the, the large hand is on about eight, five you know, five, five minutes past, and then the little hand is on ten, because the hands are like that, like in a V. And then you never have them on, say, on um, twenty past eight, when it would be down. You think, why is that? Because, of course, this is happy. The upturned V is the smile, isn't it? The downturn is depressed. So they even worked that out. The, the, the face of the watch in some way represents a human face. Uh, and so everything is... Clearly watches are not all eight minutes past ten. <laughs> and yet every watch, you see, you won't see one without it. Because it represents happiness, uplift. And you think, my goodness. And so it's being, obviously it's being printed at some level of our mind. This is happy. This is positive, and it's just a piece of metal with little wheels in it that tells you a number. And it costs (laughs) (laughs) $10,000. And sometimes the, the, the price itself is an advertisement. Because it's so expensive, to get one of these you've really got to be a special person. Dream, the dream, yeah. and that that wish, something that wants to just disappear into a convenient dream where something is just sweeping us along, and we doze and it's happy and comfortable. That's intoxication. So if you develop this. Uh, this quality of, of attention and awareness you can take Sila down to that level like I don't get intoxicated by the senses by sight, sound, touch um, I don't get intoxicated by ideas, promises, propaganda you know, politics with their intoxicating speech and false promises you know, I'm not into being carried along by a dream I want to wake up. This is how Sila sharpens your attention, deepens your awareness and sensitivity, and starts to really guide your life. Because with this then the quality of attentiveness, careful attention, which means you really understand how you're affected, what cause and effect are, what the results of actions and impulses are, how perception works, how you get seduced by 
sights and sounds, you begin to understand this because you have a checking point called mindfulness. And mindfulness is first of all based on restraint of the senses, restraining it. Restraining the indriya of our, of our energies. And restraint, sangvara, it means something really the Pali phrase, the Pali word means something like a vara is a worthy and sang means generally something like together, like sangha. So that which brings us together in a worthy way, that which, which cultivates and collects us into what's really valuable, which is our own hearts, chitta. And without that, everything runs out, streams out, yeah, into the world of seduction. So it's streaming out. And something that wants to do that. Because sure, there's honey on the on the trap. Tastes nice for a while. Then you wonder why your head's sort of stuck. <laughs> but of course, when we cultivate this, you can really only cultivate sealer the depths if and in tandem with a cultivation of something precious in yourself. So if you and it's it's the two have to go together. This is meditation. So when you begin to recognize the net, the chitta, the heart, and it becomes composed and steady, you don't want it to run out. It feels you like it to be contained. You like to sit in it. It's a comfortable place to be. You don't want to run out. Yeah. And so to really you know, develop sila, you go along with meditation because meditation helps you to enter awareness, jitta, heart, and purify it, and soothe it, and spread it, and acknowledge it, and live in it, and clear it of these defilements and obstructions. And then there's something there really precious to look after. It takes you through birth, aging, sickness, death. That's worth a lot, I think. That's worth giving up quite a bit for. But you take it a bit at a time. Basic level here, just not drinking, not stealing, not lying, not abusing others. But clearly, this is something you can develop and develop and will develop as you become more sensitive and more uh, completed in yourself. So in cultivating body, awareness of body, mindfulness of body, directly, the phrase is mindful of the body with regard to the body, or mindful of the body in terms of the body. So this doesn't mean mindful of the body, aware of the body, not in terms of what we think about it, what we see, that's a visual impression, what we imagine, how we imagine ourselves to look, 
how we imagine other people see us, our concerns about our appearance, so forth. This isn't the body, this is the mind's impressions. So the body and the body is what? What does the body know? Could say. It knows firmness, pressure, sensations, warmth, movement, expansiveness, contraction, degrees of this, degrees of warmth or cool, degrees of pressure. degrees of feeling complete or broken up these elemental properties in sitting we can support the purification of the body the uh, steadying of the body, the calming of the body, the soothing of the body and this uh, is work or attention to the energies or lack of them or the bubbling nature of it or the tension, or the blurring, or the composure. How do you feel? How does your body feel? Not just the sensations, but the presence of your body. Let's check. Center of your chest. Takes a little while. Your abdomen, breathing in, breathing out. How is that? How is sitting? How is the ground beneath you? And start to scan around. As the Buddha reminds us, sitting at the root of a tree. Cross-legged means balanced, firmly stabilized. In this position, the legs are spread, so it gives a very firm basis for the body. If you're not sitting in that way, sit on a chair, then do Try to sit with your legs quite spread out so it's a feeling of very firm, uh, balanced support. Connecting to the ground beneath you. Letting the earth carry you. So if you're resting, like gently planting the body onto something firm that fits that is safe, non-intrusive, supportive, and it gives you balance and groundedness.
let your legs, muscles in your legs really relax into that the earth can carry you It's one of the commonest features of uh, our lives is a certain speedy tension. It's good to open the body because this speedy tension makes the body feel slightly constricted. Particularly when you sit, you feel a sense of pressure, uncomfortable pressure. You're relaxing. And for this we recommend going into the soles of your feet, sensing the soles of your feet and imagining them opening like the palms of your hands, feeling the tingling in the soles of your feet. the energy and spread your awareness from the feet up through the legs the base of the body Sits with spine erect. So, recognizing the human form, we are creatures that move around upright. So, the base of the body, beginning to bring your awareness up through the back. First of all, the pelvis, the sacrum. And then feeling your way up your spine. Rather where you see a cat or a dog stretch its spine and lengthens and flexes it. The spine is not a steel rod but a series of bones that can flex. So try lengthening yourself upwards from the base of your body, drawing your lower back in with a sense of growing tall, sitting tall coming between your shoulder blades spine as if it's inclining 
towards the heart so the chest opens, the shoulders roll back sitting tall, sitting wide sitting like a Buddha coming up into your neck bring your head back so very often in our lives our faces are tilted forward looking at things, screens, books, traffic just imagine drawing your chin back, your face back so you want to get it so that your head easily sits on the neck bones so that you can relax your muscles in your neck just play with it, drawing your head back a few millimetres, centimetre tuck your chin slightly down and so ideally the head should weigh nothing if it's sitting exactly on top of the spine it doesn't weigh anything you don't get that stiffness in your neck and you stay wakeful head tilt forward you get drowsy and think a lot so focusing on that spinal axis and relax your face your forehead as if you're smoothing a hand across it relax the eyes and the cheeks your face kind of disappears just the felt impression and you feel much more this whole ball of the head resting on the neck bones and spread your awareness gradually down over your torso back to the floor and you can follow that circuit slowly a few times so brightening up the spine and relaxing down the front sitting tall sitting wide sitting connected to the ground plenty of space around you
So my experience reminds me it takes a, it can take a couple of days at least to fully arrive. Um, so you can feel sleepy, unsettled. Uh, but just this, use something like this, this very simple grounding practice. Open the heart with goodwill, patience, breathing in, breathing out. Let things occur in accordance with nature. So we'll conclude for the evening and hope you get some good rest. <coughs>